Key ways to improve your website conversion rates with Chris Daly. The Strategic Marketing Show is brought to you by Insights for Professionals, providing access to the latest industry insights from trusted brands, all in a customized, tailored experience. Find out more over at insightsforprofessionals.com. Hey, it's David. How much time do you spend on driving new website visitors versus maximizing your conversion rates? Perhaps enhancing conversion rates will have more instant impact on the bottom line. That's what we're going to be discussing today with a digital marketing entrepreneur, speaker, and neuromarketer who helps businesses learn what users want on their website using psychology-based testing and analytics. He's the founder of Smart CRO, a full-service agency that helps companies run strategies to improve website profitability. A warm welcome to the Strategic Marketing Show, Chris Daly. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, thanks so much for coming on, Chris. Well, you can find Chris over at smart-cro.com. So um, I think two definitions are appropriate first, uh, Chris. Uh, Firstly, what's a neuromarketer? (laughs) So neuromarketing is a fairly new type of marketing, and I, I actually compare it favorably with behavioral economics. So behavioral economics is a new field of economics that kind of combines psychology with with economics. And so neuromarketing is basically the same thing where you basically pair psychology with marketing, right? So my belief is that the basic goal of a marketer should be to figure out what makes a customer make a purchase, right? Or sign up or take action. We need to get inside the minds of our potential customers and figure out what is it that will drive them to take action, And what is going on inside of them that is making those decisions happen? What's the emotional state of mind that our customers are in? What does different things that we do on our website, for example, how does that provoke or evoke different emotions from our customers? So there's a lot that's involved. And I would say neuromarketing and psychology-based testing are interrelated in that what we're trying to do is we're trying to figure out what are the psychological principles at play here that are making our customers behave the way that they are, right? First, you need to understand it if you want to influence it. And so if we want to improve our conversion rates, we need to understand why our customers are converting the way they are currently. Right. Okay. So hence psychology-based testing. Um, and um, I I think it's also a good idea to actually also start with um, your view on what really you mean by website conversion rates at the moment, because I guess the definition has changed quite a bit over the years. I mean, I remember back in about probably about 2009 or so, Google introducing some kind of split testing tool. I can't even remember what it was called at the time, but I remember split testing different images and trying to improve conversion rates based on that. But I'm sure it's improved quite a bit since then. And I mean, there's all sorts of A-B testing tools now that are available. So yeah, in terms of like how I define website conversion rates, a conversion, the way that I define it is the action that you want a visitor on your website to take. So that could be a click, could be a phone call, it could be a form completion, or it could be a purchase of a product, right? So with each uh, company that I work with, that's kind of part of the initial process of setting a strategy is defining, well, what is it exactly that we want people to do on our site? And there's micro conversions and there's macro conversions. So 
a micro conversion is on a page by page level. What exactly do you want people to do? This actually becomes a really fun and interesting conversation when you look at like a homepage, for example. So a lot of times I will pull up my client's homepages and I'll say, okay, let's take a look at this page. If they're selling products on the website, you know, or if it's, if it's a SaaS company, for example, and they have a variety of products, you might say, well, what is it that you want people to do? And companies often have a really hard time answering that question because they'll say, well, we have 20 different types of products or services that we offer. So we want people to find the right product for them, which is a super, super ambiguous way of saying, I don't know what I want people to do, <laughs> right? It's, a, it's an undefined and unspecified action. It's just, I want them to do something and hopefully eventually purchase. But, and, and I respond to that with my clients by saying, well, if you don't know exactly what you want your visitor to do, they're not going to know what to do either. If you're giving them a choose your own adventure homepage, more often than not, people end up not converting because there's too many choices that they're having to make all at once. So we start with like a, on a micro conversion level, looking at each page on the website and saying, what is the, if you could have your visitor do one thing on this page, what's the one thing you would have them do? And that usually will, will cancel out all the noise. So it's like, well, if I have to pick one thing, I want them to go to a product page, right? And so it's like, okay, great. We've already gotten a lot more narrow. So the goal of the homepage is to get people to product pages. So that maybe is the conversion that we should track on the homepage is how many people got to product pages, right? On a macro level, that's what is the bottom of your funnel goal on the website? What is the ultimate end-all, be-all goal on the website? Because again, you might have like, I can, people can download white papers on my website. People can watch a webinar, but really what I want them to do is fill out a demo request form. I really want them to call us. I really want them to do this. So that's the thing that when I'm working with my clients, that is the ultimate metric that we are working towards improving. So what is that bottom of the funnel goal, product purchase, demo request, phone call, whatever it is. Some, th those are the typical bottom of the funnel conversions that we're looking at. I think it's slightly easier or potentially slightly easier for businesses with shorter sales cycles. Um, so what about if you've got a fairly lengthy sales cycle, maybe over six months or so? What path would you say uh, is, is typically the best path to set up in order to actually retain someone's interest? I mean, do you, for instance, um, suggest trying to get that opt-in to begin with, either to watch your webinar, download a white paper, continue the relationship via, via email, build the relationship, build your perceived authority using a podcast, using blog content, and then let the customer actually reel themselves in to make the sale? Or is there a better approach for a longer sales cycle? So I wouldn't say that there's a better approach. I would say that what you want to do is you want to have multiple paths, right? Kind of like if you are skiing down a mountain, it's like you might want to take the direct path down the mountain or you might kind of want to meander your way down. And so what you, what you want to do is you want to have obviously your bottom of the funnel metric, your bottom of the funnel conversion. You always want your customer, your potential customer to have the ability to take that action. Right. Mm -hmm. And so because you don't know when a customer exactly is going to be ready to convert, they may already have researched your company like they may already be a lot farther down the path than you think. And I've seen this a lot with some of my clients where it's like all they're trying to do is send people to download white papers and then we'll run an A-B test and we'll say, OK, hey, we have this version of 
uh, landing page where all we have is a white paper download CTA. And then we run a test where we have the white paper download and a demo request form on the page. And we actually end up getting a significant number of demo requests by which we find out, hey, there's actually a lot of our uh, visitors that are a lot farther down the funnel than we thought, right? They're more willing to convert than we might have thought. Now, that doesn't answer the second part of your question, which is, okay, but just because we get a demo request doesn't mean that the sale is going to come through right away, right? If it's a six-month sales cycle, we might have to talk to them for a while. And in the meantime, we want to nurture that lead. And so there's a lot of different things that we are going to want to do there. But what I typically recommend, so to kind of get down to the question of how do you optimize your website, right? Because you can really complicate your website a lot by saying, well, we have a six-month sales cycle and we don't know exactly what the quality of our leads are going to be. And so we don't actually track our conversion rates. We just track, you know, whether or not they took an action on the website or whatever. And that's a mistake, I believe. I think that you need to optimize for that bottom of the funnel conversion, recognizing that it might take a while to close those leads, right? And then what you can do is track on the back end. And this is what I'll do a lot of times when we'll run A-B tests is we'll say, let's just pass some invisible form field through. And we'll say, on this version of the lead, we just sent them to a white paper. This version of the lead, we sent them straight to the demo. And let's see on the back end, how do those play out? Which one ends up generating more sales? So that's, that's how you kind of track the longer term uh, quality and the path that those go down. But you don't want to wait for six months to make decisions, right? It's not like I run a test for six months and see how that plays out over the sales cycle and then make a decision. I always make decisions based on what is the conversion rate? How did we improve the conversion rate? Let's assume that if we improved the conversion rate, let's assume that that will also lead to better down the funnel metrics. And then we can come back and circle back around if we find out later that we didn't, right? I can certainly understand um, website conversion rate focus being part of uh, a new site design. But um, is a focus and incorporation of website conversion rates um, something that needs to be part of every marketing strategy or um, something that's ongoing as every single marketing decision that's made? Yeah, well, and that's actually a, a good, a bigger question, which is, why do companies do website redesigns, right? So this is every company I talk to is at some stage of website redesign. They're either talking about a website redesign. They're in the middle of a website redesign. They just launched a website redesign. There's, there's always some kind of redesign that's in the strategy. And I kind of break it down into a few reasons why businesses will redesign. One is a rebrand, right? So if you've rebranded your company, you have a new logo, maybe you have new products, and so you need to redesign your website because your business has changed fundamentally in some way, right? That's, that's an obvious and sort of a no-brainer reason to redesign the re website. But that's a very small percentage of website redesigns. Most of the redesigns that I encounter are you either you get a new creative director that comes in or a new CMO that comes in and says, we need to change the, the way that we portray our We need to look more like a premium brand. Or we need to connect more with our customers. We need to have a more image-centric website. Or what I hear a lot is companies that'll say, I want a site that looks like Apple or a site that looks like Instagram or whatever it is, right? Mm -hmm. There's always, sure. and I, I call that this gut-based redesign. There's not really any fundamental necessity for a redesign. There's just a, some underlying belief 
that you know what your customers want. So that kind of redesign, I think, should be taken out behind the barn and shot. I, I don't think that companies should ever do that. So, so, so if you're a senior marketer in an organization and you do have a new senior creative director come in and say that about your site, how do you bat against it? So what, what I always recommend, because and this is what, what I will do with my clients, is say, okay, maybe we do need to do a redesign. But before we do, let's first test some of the ideas that we have and see how our customers respond. So I have uh, my, my brother actually worked for me for a while. And so he does website A-B testing as well now. And he works in-house for a company that's here in Utah. And when he was hired, that company had just barely uh, got to the end stages of a redesign. So they had spent a whole year like locking down the website. Let's not make any changes. Our creative team's going to be heads down on this new site design, right? So they had put tons of time and resources into this new site design. And it was all based on kind of a, a gut idea of how the site should change and how the brand should be evolving and whatever. They launched that website redesign and conversion rates tanked. I don't remember exactly the percentage, but it was like a 20% decrease in conversion rates, right? And so they immediately reverted back to their old site design. And then they go, well, what happened? Why did this site design fail? Of course, the same gut instincts come back up and they're like, I know why it failed. It was because of this and this. And so they did another gut approach. So they, they tinkered with and modified that new site design and relaunched it. And it failed again. So then what they did is they said, okay, maybe we actually don't know <laughs> what is working better. Why don't we split this new design up and let's test? So let's take maybe a page at a time or let's take a change at a time and let's run some A-B tests and let's test the old design against some of the new designs. And what they found was there were actually some things on the new design that performed better. There were some, some of the changes they had made actually did convert better, but there were a few changes that they had made that were counterintuitive. There were changes that the business thought were going to be good for the customers that weren't, that the customers rebelled against and, and created significantly lower conversion rates. And so by doing the AB test, what they were able to do is they were able to hone in on, Oh, this is the stuff our customers don't like. This is the stuff our customers do like. And so then they were able to tie all that together into a new site design that did work. And so rather than taking that approach that was an enormous amount of time, effort, significant financial investment because they were monopolizing their entire creative team's time for about a year, instead of taking that approach where you just like throw something out and hope it works, I recommend that you start at the end of that process with what, what my brother's company does and say, let's take one idea at a time and let's test that new idea against our current site. And if it works, then let's go down that path of redesign. If it doesn't work, then, hey, we've saved ourselves a ton of time and we've saved ourselves a ton of money and effort and, and brain power. Uh, so we're not going to go down that path. Maybe we find an alternate path that works better. Right. So that's usually what I recommend to my clients. And when we do that, a lot of times you actually end up gradually redesigning your site over time by testing one thing at a time. And you end up with after the course of a year, you have a new site, but it's been redesigned in chunks, one step at a time as you find data that that proves your customers are going to respond well to that change. So if you do decide to go down that route and redesign in chunks, as you say, 
Can that not be a little bit jarring for visitors who perhaps are used to your existing brand and then for one section of your website see quite a radically different design and, and just wonder if that's the, the same website that they're on? Well, and that's a good question. And that, that comes back into the strategy piece. So you have to be strategic with how you kind of chunk out these design changes. What I usually recommend to my clients is there's, there's usually two pieces to a design. There is the functionality or ordering or layout of the page, and then there's the styling, right? So with a redesign, a lot of times companies will do both at the same time. They change their color palette. They change their uh, fonts on their site. They change the margins. Those are style changes. And then there's like the general layout. So it's like, hey, we add, we're going to add a video. We're going to... Um, change the orientation of our product pages. We're going to move the call to action. We're going to add this kind of menu layout. So you, you might you might have a new style for your menu, like a new design for the menu. And then you're also going to have a different structure for your menu. So what I do is I separate those two things. And, and I'll say, let's start with the structural piece. So if we're, gonna, if we're planning on changing our menu structure, let's test the new menu structure inside of our current style. Right, So that way we can see how the menu structure itself performs. And if the new menu structure works, then great. In our new site design, we'll use that new menu structure with our new style. But if the new menu structure doesn't work, then in the redesign, instead of changing the structure and style, you just say, let's apply our new style guide to the current menu structure. Right. So what you're going to end up doing is you're going to say, what should we actually be changing here? Should we be changing everything in this new website design? Should we just be changing the, the formatting of the content so that it uses our new, our new fonts and our new color palette? Or should we be changing the structure of the page itself, right? So like, here's, a, here's another example. I have a client right now that I'm working with and they recently, it wasn't a full website redesign, but they had recently gotten some new product video that was done that was really nice. And so they had just rolled this out right before working with me. They had rolled out these new fancy like um, autoplay video backgrounds. So like when you first get to key landing pages on their site, there's these autoplay video backgrounds that look really great. And then they've also added these video sections on these landing pages. So they rolled out this new like video centric design on their website. So I came in and said, okay, cool. Hey, this stuff looks great. I'm not saying that we shouldn't do this. I am saying we rolled this stuff out without any data whatsoever proving that this worked. So what we did is we took that page that had all the video on it and we tested a few different versions of it. One version, we just removed all the video. Another version, we removed the autoplay video and had a play thumbnail on it, right? So instead of autoplaying, you can choose to play it. We had another version where we removed only the hero video and another where we removed the, pro the video section. We found that Actually, all of the variations that we tested that removed videos performed significantly better. I mean, we're talking 20 to 30% gains in conversion rates by removing these videos. And so what we found was, hey, even though we liked this video stuff, and even though it looks really nice, and maybe, it, maybe we think it conveys a premium brand, it's a major distraction to our customers. You know, video, a lot of times, it sucks up so much of a customer's attention this is where we go into the psychology of it, where we go, well, what's actually happening when this video plays? Why is it that this video is, is lowering our conversion rates? And we can kind of pull out some hypotheses where it's like, well, the autoplay video immediately creates motion on the page, which can be disorienting to customers. So I can see why that would perform worse. Also, 
a video requires a significant amount. If you watch the video, it requires a significant amount of focus and time and attention. And that's wearing down our customer's attention span, right? And so time that they could spend navigating through our site and learning about our product, they're instead spending watching our video of, you know, people in a meeting room chatting and laughing about who knows what, right? And so that that's where we would say, okay, hey, even if you've rolled out a redesign recently, you can always go back and challenge some of the things that you did recently. And if you have a CMO or a director of marketing that comes in and says, hey, at my last company, we did a big redesign and that changed everything in our business. So we need to do another one. You can just say, great, let's do a redesign. But first, and then you lay out a strategy to say, let's break this down into chunks and let's make sure that whatever direction we're going, if you're going to be monopolizing my time for the next year, I want to make sure that we have data proving that what we're going to be doing is working, right? Otherwise, we could spend a whole year on this big project and it just falls on its face. Superb. A lot of wonderful thoughts there. Well, let's move on from um, what works now to planning for the future. So in your opinion, what's the biggest marketing trend or challenge for marketers over the coming year? Yeah. And this is, I mean, going to be the buzzword that everyone keeps hearing everywhere, which is automation, right? There's all sorts of, of automation and AI innovations that have rolled out recently. I think that the immediate reaction of most marketers is to be scared of AI and scared of automation, right? I know in the past I've felt scared where it's like, well, hey, if, they, if, if Facebook keeps improving their automatic bidding or Google keeps improving their automatic bidding algorithms, eventually you won't even need uh, you know, a PPC manager or a Facebook manager, whatever it is, right? You won't, eventually you won't need that. And I actually don't believe that that's the case. I think that the marketers who are going to come out on top over the next tech, 10 years are going to be the ones who learn how to strategically deploy AI and, and how to optimize it, right? Because you, you're still going to need human inputs no matter what, even on the AV testing front. Right. If theoretically, and there's not a tool out there that does this right now, but if theoretically there was an A-B testing tool that would say, we're going to automatically test everything on your site for you and we're going to optimize things, it's going to require strategic human input. Right. And so just like when online ads came along, that didn't mean that people who did newspaper ads before suddenly became irrelevant. It's just I need to repurpose my skill set to digital. Now we're going to say we're going to need to repurpose our skill set for automation and for AI, right? So that my, my skills now, instead of doing everything, now I'm going to learn how to strategically use artificial intelligence, how to use different uh, automation algorithms or whatever it is. I'm going to learn how to use those to make everything I do better, right? So that's what I'm working towards. And, and in, in my company, we're, we're actually working on figuring out how we can use AI to build better and smarter tests in the future, right? It's not that building that tool is gonna replace me, it's that building that tool is gonna make me better. And probably it's gonna change how I use my time. Maybe I won't spend so much of my time on monotonous tasks. And that's great, because hopefully it'll, it will free up uh, brain space for me to focus on other things that are more important. So that's, I, I, think, I think anybody who can learn how to use those tools and get on board as, as early as possible is going to be set up for success in the future. I've been your host, David Bain. You can find Chris Daly over at smart-cro.com. Chris, thanks so much for being on the Strategic Marketing Show. Thanks for having me. And thank you for listening. Here at IFP, our goal is simple 
to connect you with the most relevant information to help solve your business problems all in one place. InsightsforProfessionals.com